0: This morning, we have something special going on. It's also, I, I heard it's Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple teams playing in a very rather large game. So I want to welcome my friend Brianne Wilson out to the stage. What, are, what is going on today, Brianne?
1: Well, good morning, everyone. And again, welcome uh, to Storylines Gathering. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we thought we'd take a quick moment for audience participation. There might be some people that feel passionately about the game tonight. Right.
0: Some people. A few.
1: I mean, your kid had a patch jersey on.
0: He did. Well, the Patriots have been in at least the last four Super Bowls, so we had to celebrate that a little bit. Yeah. So, so
1: let's start out with anyone who's cheering for the 49ers tonight. Let's hear you.
0: Any 49ers fans? No fans? One. We have one 49ers okay. fan. That's okay. right.
1: Well, at least
0: there was one. Yeah. That might be Steve Young himself out there. I don't know. Yeah. How about the Chiefs? Any Kansas City Chiefs fans? Yeah, there you go. All right, got, living in the Andy Reid days. He deserves one. He needs it. So yeah, me too. Go Bears. Yeah, right. Bears fans. We'll see you in 2065, maybe. So.
1: Well, lastly, anyone cheering for Shakira and J-Lo tonight? Oh, I hear the ladies. Is that who's the
0: doing the halftime show?
1: Yeah, I had to Google it yesterday. Oh,
0: man. Jenny from the block. That's great. That's going to be fun. So I think, don't they have like one song each?
1: One song each. I'm
0: told, they, I'm told they have more hits. I only know, like, My Hips Don't Lie and that one song J-Lo did. So. I'm not going to try really to imitate that
1: on stage. Okay,
0: yeah, that probably would be a good idea. I'm going to leave. Have a wonderful Sunday.
1: All right. Well, welcome. Um, again, Super Bowl Sunday, we have a fun tradition here at Storyline that we do at the gathering called Commercial Sunday. Um, so I'm going to kick us off, pun very much intended, um, by talking about why we do this um, and really giving an intro to all the awesome speakers that you're going to hear this morning. Um, so for the last several years, uh, I've been working in marketing. So I definitely have a vested interest in what different companies, what different brands are doing. Um, with their very expensive ad space um, during the Super Bowl. Now, I'm going to confess to all of you, my father is not here this morning. Um, So big, big secret, I have had to keep it through a few Super Bowls in my lifetime. I am not interested in this game, even when the Pittsburgh Steelers are playing in the game. Um, He was raised in, uh, or just outside of Pittsburgh, and so um, I did once tell him that while studying abroad in Spain, I woke up to watch the Steelers in the game. I didn't do that at all. Um, So I'll be tuning in for the commercials, um, and wanted to talk a little bit about those as we get started. So this year, if you can believe it, it's going to cost the companies and the brands that decide to run a 30-second spot, $5.6 million. $5.6 million. Um, Absolutely incredible Um, for those 30 seconds. It'll cost them that much uh, every time they run it tonight. Uh, And so it has to be worth it, right? Um, And it's pretty hard to know, is it going to be worth it when you just have that much time and it costs that much money? So as we think about what um, makes it worth it, so much today in year 2020 is that the commercial has to spark conversation beyond the TV, beyond the room um, tonight where you're watching the game. It has to spark conversation online. And this means that it has to get us talking on our social networks with our tweets and our posts and us posting the video again. It even has to get thousands or millions of views within just a couple days' time after the big game to make sure it's really staying in the social conversation of our world. And so, in essence, the ad has to be something that we all want to talk about. And it affects us enough or we see ourselves in what they're saying that we're using it as sort of a representation of what we think um, as our own brand that we're sharing with other people. So it has to be something we talk about. What makes something worth talking about? It it really has to be something we feel passionate about sharing. And um, as Wes and I were talking about what makes us want to share something, it's most often the things that make us feel something or help us see something. Um, and I don't know about you, but as a marketer, I'm thinking, wow, how many hours and dollars did they spend figuring out what to put in 30 seconds to get millions of people talking? So it's a huge, tall order for any brand that's going to play in their version of the big game tonight. So here at Storyline, we have believed for a long time that what a lot of people would call secular can be sacred. It's why you hear songs here that you know. Uh, ones you don't as well, songs that um, are from the worship genre, from uh, folk songs, rock songs, you name it. It's why we watch Jim Gaffigan. It's why we very occasionally watch Lord of the Rings here. (laughs) Mike, I've never seen Lord of the Rings, so thank you for bringing that to me here at Storyline. Um, But plenty of other video clips are shown here at Storyline to bring concepts of faith to life, Um, And I'm willing to bet that before you came to Storyline, you didn't imagine that church and sitcom belonged in the same sentence. Um, But we do it all here. So watching them together week to week as we lean into lives of faith has made so many of us feel less alone and much more known. Watching them has made us smile, it's made us laugh, it's honestly made me cry at times um, and and need a Kleenex desperately, um, and probably for you too. And today we have this opportunity to see commercials designed to sell us on something. Uh, very, uh, you know, very, very base need um, for these companies is to sell us something tonight. And we want to talk about how these ads play a big role in our unique and at the same time very universal stories. So our hope this morning is that it would not be just about the stories in the commercials themselves, but our story here as a collective community. In a couple minutes, we're gonna hear from several storyliners. Some have been coming for multiple years, some a very short time. There's going to be people that maybe you've never met, and I love that about today. We have women and men sharing. We have generations X, Y, and Z. Uh, beware the millennials, they will be here. Um, and you'll notice a lot of variety in their commercials and even a movie trailer. And I talk about those surface level differences because I think they're so important as we think about how enriching it is to have different perspectives and different folks um, joining us week to week here at The Gathering as part of Storyline. And it reminds us that our human experiences are going to bring us into the sacred common ground uh, that will connect us. So if you're here today, we consider you part of Storyline. It might be your first time. Welcome to Commercial Sunday, it's a big way to start out. Um, It might be your 200th time, also welcome, Um, but I want to call on you as the community of people that are going to receive and listen to stories today from within your own community to really open your heart and give these folks grace as they come up here and share today. Uh, So with that, thank you so much for being here. Enjoy Commercial Sunday and let's roll the first commercial.
2: Ship my pants? Right here? Ship my pants, you're kidding. You can ship your pants right here. You
0: hear that? I can ship
3: my pants for free. Wow,
1: I just may ship my pants.
3: Yeah, ship your pants. Billy, you can ship your pants too.
1: I can't wait to ship my pants, Dad. I just shipped my pants, and it's very convenient. Very
2: convenient.
0: I just ship my drawers.
1: I just shipped my nightie.
2: I just shipped my bed. If you can't find what you're looking for in store, We'll find it at kmart.com right now and ship it to you for free.
4: Well, good morning. My name is Stacy McGrain. I have been coming here for probably nine, ten years, but have known most of the people who helped start Storyline for longer than that. So, love this place and love that you're all here today. Thanks for coming. So I. Love this ad the first time that I saw it. It originally came out in April of 2013, and when it was first aired, it was only aired after 10 p.m. Now we're starting our church service with it, so things have changed a little bit. (laughs) So when this came out in 2013, online shopping was a novel idea, and it wasn't very widely used because of high shipping costs. So this commercial introduced an offer that was very appealing to Kmart shoppers. If they were unable to find something in the brick and mortar store, then an employee would go on and order it for them and it would be shipped directly to them. So ultimately, the chain's inability to keep their stores well stocked created buzz and a little more online business for them. However, Kmart's brand was quickly going downhill and they were willing to take a controversial risk like this in airing something that would simply get people talking about them again And they hoped that that would help their sales increase enough to keep them in business. So as someone who graduated with advertising and marketing degrees, I learned early on in school that in order to be successful, an ad must be both good and effective. So this ad is good because it earned Kmart more free advertising than they could ever have imagined. It's the number seven most shared thing on YouTube ever. But it was not effective, because it did not produce sales. So as I see this, I think of that it's true for communication as well. It's successful when it is good and effective. Studies show that 45% of communication is listening, yet this piece is often the most difficult for people. As in this ad, we often hear what we want to hear, not what is actually being said. So I'll say that again. We often hear what we want to hear, not what is actually being said. My children attend a Leader in Me school in the Lakeshore District. And the Leader in Me program is based on Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's been translated into a school improvement program that allows children to live out these habits daily. And it empowers them with leadership and life skills that they need for success. So habit number five, is seek first to understand, then to be understood. That's a really fun one to hear when my first grader um, calls me out for not being a good listener to her. Um, But it is a great concept and a good skill to put into practice, as well as something which I need to be reminded of. So this commercial demonstrates that we must listen well to fully understand the offer. Perhaps if we take time to wholeheartedly listen to one another we would realize what great deals we were being offered by really getting to know one another. Thanks.
5: Somebody gonna tell you.
6: Good morning, Storyline. Okay, that was terrible. Let's try that again. Good morning, Storyline. See, Stacy, people are listening. I'm Nathan Rohn, and I'm a junior at Lakeshore High School. I'm here today to share my story of battling ulcerative colitis and how it's affected my life, but most importantly, how God has been alongside me while fighting this terrible disease. First, I wanna explain why I chose this commercial to share with you all this morning. I chose this commercial for two main reasons relating to the experiences of the kids and their daily struggles, and seeing faith through the people helping the kids struggling with everyday routines. Second, everyone sees God working differently in their life. Personally, I see God working through people and how people are willing to help others in need. Throughout my talk, I'm going to explain why I believe this is so important. So, what is ulcerative colitis and what effects does it have on your body? Ulcerative colitis is a chronic inflammatory bowel disease that affects your digestive tract typically located in your large intestine, which is also known your colon. Symptoms affiliated with ulcerative colitis can be severe abdominal pain, frequent bowel movements, and very bloody stools. Ulcerative colitis can be treated with medication, both oral and infusion drugs, but can sometimes be so severe to the point of needing multiple surgeries. In my case, in three short years, I exhausted all medical therapy options. Just recently, on December 16th, 2019, I completed my eighth surgery which is hopefully one more to go. Ulcerative colitis is a non-curable disease, but only a disease that can be put into remission. Ulcerative colitis not only affects your body, but also affects your life. So how has ulcerative colitis affected my life? I was diagnosed in sixth grade, and for five years, I missed countless days of school. Not only did I miss a lot of school, but I also missed hanging out with friends and family, as well as playing in and attending sporting events. Every surgery is harder to recover from thus making it difficult to hop back in and do all the things i love to do as a result of my surgeries i have multiple scars my surgeon and i have decided that chicks dig scars (laughs) all my surgeries have affected my sports life i have not stopped playing i've had to stop playing many sports because they've become too physically demanding for my body to endure as you can imagine having all these surgeries has been very physically and emotionally exhausting However, God has opened many doors, one of them giving me a passion to find a cure for ulcerative colitis. In doing this, my cousin, Abby Marone and I have developed my own motto, No Colon Still Rolling, that I've put on t-shirts to sell. <laughs> the proceeds have all been donated to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Through t-shirt sales and personal donations, I've donated approximately $25,000 to help find a cure for UC so far. This is just one of the many doors God has opened for me and allowed me to live my life even with medical compromises. While struggling with a chronic medical condition, I've needed a lot of assistance with simple tasks throughout the day. Even though I'm 17, my mom still has to help me get dressed and shower after having surgery, unfortunately. But I love her, she's the best. When I think of God, I think of all of his many attributes. The one that stands out to me the most is his desire to help anyone regardless of their situation. Battling this disease has not all been bad, but has been good in the fact that God has showed me his unconditional love through the numerous people that have helped me through this long journey. For example, one day I was home alone and needed help because I was about to leave. After getting dressed, I realized I could not put on my socks. Out of desperation, I called my friend and neighbor, Grace Connolly to see if she was willing to help. She drove to the house and helped me put on my socks. Yes, my socks. Now that's showing God's love in a practical way. But without these people in my life, I would not be the person I am today and would not be able to do all the things I love. While battling this awful awful disease, not only has God shown me his presence in my life, but I have also been able to find myself. Ever since I was in third grade, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I just wasn't sure what type of doctor to become. Even with ulcerative colitis being a life-changing disease, it has shown me that medical, the medical field is truly the field I want to pursue, and it has been my ultimate goal to become a pediatric colorectal surgeon. Not only will I be able to do what I have a passion for, but I'll be able to show God's love to my patients as people have showed me. Thank you so much for your time, and have a great rest of your Super Bowl Sunday.
5: Good morning. Uh, my name is John Sullivan. I've been coming to Storyline for about six years. I've always been curious and somewhat skeptical when somebody stated that God spoke to them. Where I used to live every time around Christmas we'd start making a bunch of different cookies, put some plates together, and bring them around to a bunch of our different neighbors. One neighbor couple, uh, John and Nancy, they would usually bring over a bag of peanut brittle about the same time to share. We'd have a nice visit. And after they left, within about 10 or 15 minutes, that peanut brittle was gone. It was that good. It would melt in your mouth. It dissolved on your tongue. Uh, It was just incredible. Quite frankly, it was addicting. Well, John and Nancy moved away, and uh, we still kept in touch via email. And the rear visit is about a two-hour drive if traffic and weather were good. A couple years ago, I moved up here. And in 2018, started making making the Christmas cookies again and uh, had a hankering for peanut brittle. Well, I thought, how hard could it be to make peanut brittle? So I researched a few recipes, tried a couple batches, and they were awful. Inedibles, chewy, stick to your teeth, just couldn't do anything with it. So I pitched it out back for the birds and squirrels and raccoons. They largely ignored it as well, so I had to (laughs) pick it up and throw it away. Um, I worked up the courage to reach out to John and Nancy and ask them if they would share their peanut brittle recipe with me. They would always been very generous and open people. So I sent them an email. A few days later, the response came back. They said no. (laughs) Um, I was taken aback by this. I really was, because again, they were generous people. So once I recovered from my shock, I actually read the rest of the email, and they explained it. They wouldn't just send the recipe, but if I were to come out and visit with them, they would teach me how to make it. This made perfect sense. They were always the type of people who wanted to teach and show instead of just telling and doing. Nancy was a teacher by career, so it double made sense. Picked up the phone, gave him a call, picked a time. It was about this time last year to go out and visit with them, agreed on the day. That morning came and it was kind of like this. It was that crazy sunny day in the middle of the Michigan permacloud, high temperatures, 30s pushing 40s. It was dry, there was no wind, and I immediately started thinking of all the things I wanted to do that day besides sitting in a car and making peanut brittle in the kitchen. I'd go for a run. I'd go for a bike ride. I'm pretty sure I could sneak a trail ride in there. With a few texts or phone calls, I know I could find enough people to pick up some basketball or soccer outside. Heck, I'd even do the yard work that I neglected to do all fall, and I would have enjoyed it because it was sunny and beautiful in the middle of February. I picked up the phone to cancel, and I heard a voice clear and concise in my head just said, Go. Put the phone down, hopped in the car, away I went. And that's peculiar for me because in that situation, I could dither and hem and haw with the best of them. Um, but I went out there, and we made about six batches of peanut brittle together. The first couple batches, they were right with her, with me, basically guiding me through every step, telling me why each step was critical, and they came out great. The next couple batches, I made mostly on my own. They'd pop in and out of the kitchen at those critical times, and those batches came out good. The last two batches I made completely on my own, and after they cooled and we broke them up, we decided those were pretty darn good as well. And only then would they let me copy the recipe down copied the recipe, took my notes by it. We shared a wonderful meal together. I stayed much later in the evening than I ever thought that I would. And I left with a lot of priceless memories of sharing a wonderful day with a couple generous and very good people.
7: the world needs now is love, sweet love No, not just for some, but for everyone
5: Well, here's the gut shot. Within two months of my visit, Nancy was dead. Unbeknownst to me, she'd been suffering from a heart condition. Uh, John and Nancy were people of very strong faith in God, and part of that is they certainly did not believe in sharing their troubles or burdening others with their problems. As so I thought about this during the visitation for Nancy, It dawned on me the day that I had wavered in my commitment to visit with them and make paint brittle. It was God who spoke to me. Now I'm not sure if it's a figurative, Um, or real, but it transcended the stereotypical, loud, booming monologue. Maybe it was a subconscious accumulation of manners or doing the right thing or what C.S. Lewis would call the laws of nature with my faith in God tying it all together. I'm not sure, but I liked it. God gave us free will. He gave us the freedom to choose to do good or bad, to do right or wrong. In that commercial, the father made, at first, a very reluctant choice, to join the community. Those two women took a huge risk, but they made a choice to try to form some community. That's why I want to leave you here with today. What can you do going forward to help share some love to help build some community? Thanks and have a wonderful new year.
1: Stop! I got something
5: to tell you! Mine. Don't make any sudden moves. Hop inside my mouth if you
0: want to live.
6: Oh, yeah, right, right.
0: Somewhere beyond the sea. Hold on, wait to cross. 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. How's it going, Bob? That's a big place to find one fish. Has anybody seen my son? Your son Chico? No, it's Nemo. We're looking for Nemo. (laughs) Uh,
1: Name's Crush.
0: I gotta find my son Nemo. Grab shell, dude. Grab one. (laughs) To find Nemo, let's ask for directions. No! What is it with
6: men and asking for
0: directions? We'll take a miracle. Ah!
6: Yeah, I saw him, but I'm not telling you where he went. Ah! All right, I'll talk, i Hi. Hi.
0: Getting him back is a whole other story. Hello? <laughs> Walt Disney Pictures presents a Pixar Animation Studios film. We're gonna help him escape. Nemo!
5: Don't give up! Your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. I'm coming,
0: Nemo! I never knew, my father! Come on. Good hug. Oh, my stomach. No hurling on the shell, dude, okay? Just waxed it. You've got to see it... ...to believe it. Nice. Finding Nemo. Everybody hold on! Hi,
7: everybody. Hello? Okay. (laughs) Hi, everybody. My name is Gabby, and I've been coming to Storyline for about six years. Before I get into my talk, I want to be clear that what I'm about to share is serious and nothing that was ever taken lightly. I struggled for years with different mental health illnesses. With that being said, at times, I poke fun of myself about dumb things I did. And I do this because I want to show how skewed my thinking was. But again, I'm not diminishing the severity of certain experiences I had. As you just saw, I chose Finding Nemo as my commercial. I know it's a movie trailer, but I couldn't stop thinking about how my story correlated with Nemo and Dory in different ways. Dory says a line in the movie, just keep swimming. And that correlates to something I say to myself on a daily basis. If you've seen the movie before, you see that Nemo lives with his overprotective dad. Nemo wants to gain some independence and unfortunately, he ends up getting lost in the sea. Not sure if he'll find his way back. He goes through some scary moments throughout the movie, which help him realize that all his dad was doing was loving him and trying to give him a perfect world. Nemo's story is similar to the story I'm sharing today. I didn't have super overprotective parents, but I struggled with feeling like they controlled me. Why could they decide if I could have a sleepover or force me to go to church? I grew up attending church and believed in God. I went to Spring Hill and on mission trips, and I got saved a handful of times. However, I lost my dad when I was eight, which caused a lot of trauma. That's when I was introduced to therapy. Now, I couldn't tell you how many therapists I've had in my 23 years, but it's a large number. And I'll be honest, it took me years to finally open up. I come from a big family, and it's easy for one member to get lost in the crowd, which was me. I was more shy and quiet than my sisters. If you know me, you know I come from a family of all girls, and not regular girls. They're all outgoing, confident, smart, and beautiful. Super easy growing up with that. (laughs) I didn't realize it until later, but I always felt like I didn't have a place in the world. I mean, I celebrated getting a C plus when Dylan was complaining over an A. Sometimes I thought we had different moms. (laughs) When I moved here from Valparaiso, I made friends and enjoyed living here. Around freshman year of high school, I started to develop anxiety. This happened because of various changes in my life. I was going into high school. I had a stronger interest in boys. I had a huge falling out with a best friend. I constantly focused on what others thought of me and if I was being noticed. I wanted to grow up fast and do what everyone else was doing. I always felt babied as a kid, and I wanted to become a mature adult. But how do you do that when you're referred to as so-and-so's sister? I remember being so nervous to talk to someone I didn't know or having everybody's eyes on me, like right now. (laughs) My face would get bright red, I would sweat, and my voice would quiver. It's crazy I'm able to speak today because back then there was no chance. When you suffer with anxiety, you constantly feel nervous and tense. Even if I knew the answer to a question, I wouldn't raise my hand for the fear of possibly being wrong. At my old school, we had to make our own musical instrument, and I refused to do the project because of how scared I was to play in front of the whole class. In my mind, I would rather fail than actually attempt to complete something. But honestly, who thought it would be a good idea to make awkward 6th graders play an instrument in front of everybody? When I discovered that alcohol could suppress my nerves, I took off running. It started out casual and only happened a few weekends here and there. It was in a friend's basement with some girls, but it got excessive my junior year of high school. I partied every weekend and did really embarrassing things. People would say, remember when he did this? And I would laugh and say, no. From all these wild nights, I became depressed. I was in a toxic relationship which erased any self-esteem I once had. I thought a man would solve all my problems and give me the the confidence I so desperately needed. Note to self, a man or woman cannot solve your problems when you are, in fact, the problem. That's written in bold, too, so don't forget that. The only emotions I expressed was anger and sadness. I was mean. I had the worst relationship with my mom. Love you, mom. (laughs) On top of that, I was in competitive cheer, so I was physically drained and my body was constantly in pain. My brain never shut off. It was constantly running with worries and fears. I started developing insomnia, which was just the icing on the cake. Now, what does an insomniac do when they can't sleep? Well, they drink. I thought it was such a genius. So not only was I drinking on the weekends, I would drink during the week before bed. And I learned later that this doesn't actually help you sleep any better, it makes you sleep a lot worse. Then I had my first blackout. Now, for the average person, when you blackout, you make sure it doesn't happen again. But for me, that made it all the more fun and the only reason it was fun was because it was reckless. I was so depressed that I wanted to do whatever anyone told me and to be the life of the party. I didn't go to church as often as I should have, but many times I sat there hungover and miserable. I had a period where I was so low that I stopped eating. I felt so unlovable that I continued to spiral down in a really bad place. My family was concerned, but I didn't care. I told them I was young and everybody drinks on the weekends. Unfortunately, my youngest sister got to experience the worst of it and covered me often, picking me up when I couldn't get home and cleaning up my vomit. I truly thought it was normal to wake up with cuts and bruises everywhere, and that everyone smashes their head on the corner of a beer pong table, or to wake up in strange places and regularly forget the previous night. Now, Nemo may have gotten lost, but boy, did I outdo him. I was turning 21 in six months with lots of plans, but thankfully, my drinking days came to an end. My family witnessed a blackout of mine and checked me into rehab in Florida. I stayed for two months and had some really hard days. I had therapy every day. I had no connection to the outside world besides two 10-minute phone calls on the weekends. I journaled every day. I missed Thanksgiving, Christmas, and two weddings. I told the doctor I wanted to learn how to drink one drink and stop there, and he said, or you could not drink at all, and I laughed in his face. I had no education on alcoholism. I didn't realize people checked into treatment to give up alcohol completely. I thought it was possible to have it both ways. I had to learn why I drank so much and why I wanted to numb everything. These feelings stemmed from childhood, feeling like nobody ever heard me. It involved the loss of my dad and realizing I never fully grieved his death. It involved always being compared to my sisters. It involved self-loathing, feeling like I never succeeded. I had to ask myself if it was worth it to return to drinking when I knew my family would cut me out of their life. And that's what kept me going on the rough days. I couldn't imagine a life without the minute. When I arrived in Arizona, I completed my IOP, which stands for Intensive Outpatient. Basically, I had therapy three days a week for three months. I promised myself I would fight every day to stay sober and try to impact others. Since I gave up drinking, the constant anxiety I used to have is fairly low and manageable. I no longer suffer from insomnia. My relationship with my mom and sisters improved tremendously. I've had a job for two and a half years that I enjoy. I'm dating an amazing guy, shout out to Micah, who comes from an incredible family. I have a wonderful sponsor. I'm a member of AA and I've shared my testimony. It brings me great pleasure in saying I have over three years of sobriety, something I could have never imagined. I got there by reciting the acronym ODAT, which stands for one day at a time, or as Dory puts it, just keep swimming. If you're a member of AA, you know this is a term we use frequently. When you're an addict, you can't always think big picture. I remember asking the rehab doctors, how will I stay sober for a month, two months, a year? And one of them said, just think one day at a time. And those simple words changed my life. However, this doesn't mean I don't still struggle. I have days where I'm down and I wanna lay around all day, or days where I cry for no reason. But, I wanna, but what I wanna leave with you today is that we are never alone. Somebody out there loves you and wants to create a perfect world for you. My sister risked outing my addiction to my mom, fearing I would hate her forever, when it was the best thing she ever did for me. And if you can't think of someone, know that God is always on your side. Thanks to my addiction, I have a great relationship with God, and know that all this happened for a reason. I was once Nemo. I was lost, and I didn't think I would find my way back. But I did, and anybody out there struggling can too. I want to thank everyone for listening to my story, and as Dory said, just keep swimming.
2: My name is Zach Glanzer, and my family and I have been going to Storyline since about spring of 2014. Uh, the rest of my family joins you in the audience today. I, 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 I assume so, I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure, but hello family, if you are out there. This is a surprise to them. But currently, I'm a student at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. And because of the unfortunate fact that airfare is a little bit steep for me, I'm instead of joining you in person, joining you from the comfort of my own Waco, Texas home. Welcome. Sick, embarrassed. <laughs> sick, embarrassed. Sick, embarrassed. <laughs> all right, John, roll the tape.
5: Anyway, that's the control room. A lot of chaos there, but it all looks good when it comes out on the show. Actually, thanks to those people. Then over here in the digital center is our highlight screening area. So that's where we get all the games uh, that are played that night down in a 90-second or two-minute clips or whatever you're going to see on SportsCenter right now. This hallway, it runs between, you know, both rooms. You know, if you want to get from the control room to the screening, then this is the hallway you'd take. Questions or anything? I can answer whatever you want about the place. Yeah, nothing?
1: I never got tired, so my dad started
2: calling me AD for all day, and it stuck with me ever since. I like that, AD, all day. Yeah, so um, what's your nickname around here?
3: Me? Yeah. Oh, I don't really have a nickname, pretty much just call me Scott.
2: All day, what's up? Same. Hey, bedwetter.
3: <clears throat> Guys are always clowning, you know?
0: <laughs> bedwetter.
3: <clears throat> told, told you that in
0: confidence, Johnny. Mm. Go ahead and get this fax out. Oh,
5: yeah. All right. Sir, sure, my computer's all
0: messed up. Might I pop on here? No, you're all good. Go ahead.
2: What is it with the computers in here? I'll try John's. Anyway, these, uh, this is Sports Center commercials are some ads that are kind of near and dear to my heart in, in some ways. I think they're kind of a unspoken Glanzer family favorite. And every time I watch them, there's just this wave of nostalgia that watches over me as I seem to recall vividly sitting on our brown couch in our living room in New Mexico on a Sunday afternoon with my dad and little brother watching football. And it was probably the Broncos. And they were probably losing. But at a commercial break, one of these ads would play. And uh, I remember upon the completion of these ads, looking over to my dad, her affirmation uh, to see if he would give a chuckle. And normally he would. The thing about that is most TV ads do not get Brian Gunzer to chuckle, but these never fail to. Which to me was affirmation that these were some of the highest quality, commercials out there. I think there's something about them that is so uniquely pure. They're just this raw nonsensical value to them. But I think there's something deeper about these commercials. Something beyond just the the nostalgia and the nonsense. There's something deeper that I think draws us to these commercials or at least personally draws me to them. And and getting ready for this I was watching through uh, Several compilations of these, and as I was doing so, I was kind of thinking to myself, all right, what what else is it about these ads that draws me to them? And I I don't think there's any one right answer necessarily, but as I was watching these videos, one explanation kind of formed in my mind. One, I think these ads are appealing to us because. They feature some of the biggest names in all of sports and as a result some of the biggest names in all of society. But the commercials feature them doing things that we didn't expect them to be doing, that we don't imagine that they ever do in their own time. Here Adrian Peterson is waiting at the copy machine just like you and I. The Manning brothers seem to have sibling rivalry the same way that me and my own brother do This is striking to us because I think that we have somehow elevated these people, like athletes or actors or whatever it may be, we've put them in the status above us. Whether we did it on purpose or just subconsciously, we have somehow equated excellence with superiority. They are good at something that we aren't good at and therefore they are better than us not just in their particular field but as all around humans. This is the reason why we get nervous around famous people because they're better than us. I personally have found this sort of thing to be true in my own individual life. For instance in high school there were these people that I went to school with that I somehow created this image of them that they were better Perhaps you might call call it, they were cooler than I. Maybe it's based on the fact that they were athletic people, they were on the sports team, they ran in some circle of other cool people, they, they were really confident, they held themselves very easily around large groups of people. Whatever it might be, they were cooler than I. Better than I. And I didn't do this intentionally, it just kind of came about in my mind. I, I went out to college, and the same concept looked a little different, but ultimately at its core it was the same. I personally have always felt this way that I'm kind of on the outside of what is good, that there's something better, but I can't be a part of it because I'm missing this thing there's some fatal flaw in me but so so why is this the case why 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 do we make some people better than others in our minds, why do we feel like we're lacking? I'd be one to suggest this. I think innately, deep in our core, we know something, and that is that we were created for something better. We were designed for a higher calling, and yet at the same time, we feel like we are unworthy of it, or that we haven't quite got it all put together yet. To this, I would respond by referencing the, the life of Christ Jesus who was the ultimate symbol of coolness, of bitterness, and yet he stooped to our level and came to earth. His entire earthly ministry was centered around loving the poor, the sick, the unpopular. Here he was spending quality time with the outcasts of society. He healed the lepers, Those. Who were required to walk around and everywhere they went had to shout, I am unclean. How, how much more uncool can you be than that? And yet Jesus associated with those people. He proved to us that there is nothing we need to do to get God on our side because God is already on our side. We know this to be true because he of the higher status reached down and associated with us philippians 2 puts it this way christ who being in the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a certain servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross we've heard it our whole lives growing up Jesus was born in a manger, the dirtiest of possible places to place a newborn baby. He died on a cross, the kind of death that was reserved for only the worst kinds of people. These two facts alone, his birth and his death, those by themselves prove to us how much he came for those of us that are the lowliest, for those that are the most sinful. And yet, I think we've we've allowed how amazing it is, how glorious the fact is, to be lost on us. We've forgotten what it means. We hear time and time again, you don't need to do anything to get God on your side because God's already on your, our side and yet we've grown desensitized to it. <laughs> it could be seen in my own life. Me, all, all grown up, 20 years old. I, I still subconsciously create these social hierarchies in my mind that some people are better than others because they have it. That it, but <laughs> I already have it. I have, I have the Lord, the inner circle has been brought to me like that is amazing news and i 've forgotten I've forgotten what it means. My prayer for myself and for anyone for, for everyone watching is that no longer will we allow this to be lost on us, that it will affect the way that we live that we would once again be captivated in the same way that my dad and I are when we see these commercials the same way we're captivated by Michael Phelps, being just a normal person like us, we would be far more captivated by how Jesus came and lived a normal life like us, and thus proved there is nothing we need to prove. Alright, stay warm out there people, sick of bears, and go Lancers.
3: Uh, many thanks again to all of our contributors this morning. I think they did a really good job uh, just, I guess, for the vulnerability, the storytelling, their ability to just give us a glimpse into a piece of their story that really, if I had to guess, may not be all that different from a piece of your story. Um, if, if you did connect with one of the folks that shared this morning, I'd really encourage you to find them out in the lobby when we're finished uh, because I really think there's something powerful in saying that, like, yes, I feel the same way too about that thing. Um, in some ways, it feels like the world that we live in right now is incredibly divided. Uh, that our ability to compromise or to understand one another and to meet somewhere in the middle is really difficult. Um, and it seems like we're forced more often than not into making an either or choice, uh, not a yes and choice. Let me give you a few examples. Either you agree with the message of that commercial or I don't think I'm going to invite you to my house next year for the Super Bowl. Um, either you like the same political candidate as I do, or I don't know if we can be friends. Either you believe in me keeping my firearms, or I don't think you should call yourself a Christian. All of those statements contained an either or in them. And I feel like the same dichotomous mentality is applied to like this cavernous divide between uh, all the media that we ingest every day, that what we hear or see or listen to or read is either assigned to the secular or the spiritual, the worldly or the holy. I hope, if nothing else, that this fact was not lost in you this morning, that by using a commercial of all things to illustrate their story, these folks close that divide. And I think by closing this divide between the secular and the sacred, the folks that spoke this morning have adopted a yes and mentality not an either or. They are saying that yes, this commercial has no reference to anything holy or virtuous in it, and I think it reminds me of something profoundly meaningful and spiritual in my own life. In so many ways, this way of seeing the world in lots of yes and statements really does delegitimize so many of the differences we can observe between ourselves and others. As a matter of fact, I think Jesus had the same mentality a lot of the time. It seems that he, too, approached situations with a yes-and mentality, not an either-or. He infuriated, actually, the religious and the political elite, basically those in power as a result of the position or opinion that they held, because Jesus didn't take the positions that they wanted him to take. He didn't succumb to the either-or mentality. Uh, He was an outspoken critic of the self-imposed righteousness that these men in power carried around with them. While he himself chose to dine and commune with sinners and outcasts and those that were unwelcome everywhere else. I mean, he was fully God. Jesus was fully God and he lived a blameless life. And he made it so clear that nothing we can do can separate us from the grace that he was offering. So in the last book of the Bible, Jesus makes a pretty incredible claim. In his words, that he is going to make all things new. All things. Commercials. Political arguments. Relationships with your family your spouse, your friends, he can redeem all of them. His grace given freely to us allows us to to see the world like this, full of yes and situations and not either or. And with more in common than we will ever have in difference. Amen. We'll see you next week, folks.